Well, it's great to be with you guys on this Father's Day. Uh, Again, happy to worship with you uh, this morning. And today we're going to take a little break from our sermon series on 2 Thessalonians. And really what we want to do is that we're going to really do two things um, as we continue in this service. We are going to install together as a church family uh, our new deacons and elders and then pray over them. And then uh, our new elders are going to share a few encouraging words with the dads in this room, and then we're going to pray over the dads in our room. So we have a little theme here, right? Encouragement, uh, you know, from God's word, and then um, sometimes a prayer together as a church. And so that's for the plan today. That's the plan for today. Next week, we will be back into 2 Thessalonians. But as we get started today, many of you have already asked, Jason, what's up with the shirt? Right? And if you can't see from where you're sitting, I just want you to know, I have my dad's shirt on right here. This bad boy was given to me like five years ago from my son Gideon for Father's Day. And ever since then, he keeps asking me, when, Dad, when are you going to wear it when you preach? And so today's the day. I'm wearing it when I preach. Here we go. Um, the truth, yeah, there we go. Gideon gets a little shout out for the church, for the shirt. Um, the truth is, guys, that uh, I love these little things like colorful shirts and other things my kids give me. I I love them more and more uh, as time goes on. And the reason why is because as time goes by, the more and more I realize how precious a father's time is with his kids. Several years ago, uh, my dad had a heart attack. My dad lives in Michigan. And so he uh, had to have emergency open heart surgery. And so uh, I got the call and ended up rushing up to Michigan to be with my dad before they started the procedure. And I remember a lot of things about that day. Uh, One of the things I remember is standing beside my dad's bed in the hospital um, with my brother Phil before they took my dad in for the surgery. And at one point, um, you know, at that point in my life, I was kind of a stoic guy, kind of a lot more, you know, tough than I am now and like, you know, never really cried or anything. Um, but that day I started to get really emotional. And uh, at one point before my dad got taken in for his surgery, he looked at uh, me and my brother and he said, let's pray together, boys. And he said, Jason, why don't you go ahead and lead us? And I promise you, I tried to pull it together, be tough in the moment, but I couldn't do it. I just cried and cried and cried. And my dad, you know, he's getting ready to go in for surgery. He just had a heart attack. And he looks up at me and he goes, man up, boy. <laughs> And uh, I couldn't do it, so uh, we had to have Phil pray because, you know, he's the good son, and uh, that's cool. Um, But one other thing that I remember about that day is that uh, so many people came up to check in on my dad, see how my dad was doing, person after person, just visiting, caring, talking with us. And I, I think I realized on that day, more than ever before, just how much of a godly influence my dad had been, not just on me and on my brother, but on the rest of the people in our church. Um, All through my childhood, my dad had served in the church. He uh, played various roles of service. He taught Sunday, boys Sunday school. He taught adult Sunday school. Um, He was a mechanic and he, he led a church bus ministry. They actually bought him this pair of overalls that said Dr. Mike on it because he always uh, performed emergency surgery on the buses. He just kind of took care of people whenever needs would arise. And uh, as the years went by, my dad was eventually recognized as a deacon um, in our church. And the more that time went by, the more I realized just how much of an 
influence my dad had on the people that he served uh, as a church member but also as a deacon. People thought very highly of him. They ended up greatly appreciating his service. And all of that reminds me of the Apostle Paul's words to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3 where Paul had just given this list of qualifications about the characteristics that should be present in a deacon and then he ends it by saying this, 1 Timothy 3.13, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Deacons who serve well, like my dad, gain a good standing for themselves. And church family, today we're gonna install several new deacons to serve our church, and I believe that as they serve faithfully, they will also gain a good standing for themselves in the eyes of this church as well. As we've taught over the past three years, deacons are the lead servants within the church. They are to be active serving men, but they're also to be men of of character. We've said in our teachings before that when it comes to leadership in the church, character must come before competencies, right? Character must come before competencies. And so the Apostle Paul emphasizes that in his teaching to Timothy. While Timothy was putting churches together all around the region where he lived, Paul says, this is how you do it. You gotta look for deacons, and when you look for them, here's what he says, 1 Timothy 3, starting in verse eight all the way through verse 13. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You know, you read these qualifications of deacons and you think to yourself like, wow, like this is, look at this list of qualifications to serve as deacons within the church. And uh, here's what I want you to know today. Actually, the more you think about those qualifications, You know what they are? They are instructions for normal biblical manhood, right? And womanhood, right? There's some instructions there for wives and how wives are to conduct themselves. But the characteristics that apply to deacons, they're not like, you know, win a thousand souls for Christ and, you know, go be a missionary to some unreached people group. These are just faithful characteristics of regular godly men. No lying, no drunkenness, not greedy, Have a clean conscience about your faith, you know, be trustworthy, be faithful to your wife, and lead your family well, right? That's regular Christian manhood. So what makes service as a deacon any different than what the rest of the men are aspiring to uh, who are pursuing Christ? Here's the difference. First of all, these characteristics are evident in the life of a man so much so that the church can affirm it. Okay, so that they're pronounced, these men are exemplary, there are characteristics in their life enough to where the church can affirm it. And secondly, these men who step forward as deacons have a willingness to serve in the capacity uh, of being part of the diaconate. And so the church recognizes both their godliness and their willingness to serve. The servanthood of deacons has its roots in Acts chapter six. 
This passage provides us with one of the pictures of the service of uh, what would come to be known as deacons later in church history. But I want to read Acts 6, verse 1 through 7. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose by the Hellenists against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith." So what's going on there, guys? The church, the gospel is going forward, right? Christ had just ascended. The, the, the gospel is going forward. The ministry of the apostles is continuing. And the early church was growing. And as the church grew, there were more people in the church. And more people means more needs. And so the apostles wanted to make sure that people's needs were met, that people weren't being neglected, and also that they themselves weren't neglecting the ministry of the preaching of the word and prayer. So what did they do? They had the church choose from among themselves uh, trustworthy men, good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit to meet those needs. And then the apostles and the church publicly recognized them, laid hands on them. And these men started serving. And what I want you to catch was the end of verse seven there. What happened when these servants served faithfully? The church grew, the gospel spread, and people were added to the faith. That's what we want to see happen as we have faithful, serving deacons within our church body. The gospel goes forward, people are saved, and many are added to the church. But what I want you to see here today, the servanthood role of the deacon was really twofold. Their responsibility was to meet the people's needs and to lighten the leader's load right? Meet the people's needs, lighten the leader's load, all while maintaining that godly character that was described earlier. So part of their responsibility, doing their work, was for the purpose of lightening the load of the leaders. In Acts 6, those leaders were the apostles who were preaching the word. But as you know, if you've studied the scriptures for for any time, you know that eventually the apostles appointed elders, right, in every church. The apostles are not omnipresent. They can't be everywhere. So they needed leadership in every church. So they appointed elders as leaders of the church, Acts 14 kind of gives us an example of this where Paul did this um, in his ministry. I just want to read Acts 14, verse 21 through 23. It says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Listen, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed so what do we have here we have the apostles appointing elders to lead in every church Paul instructed Titus to do the same thing Titus again kind of an apostolic representative who was establishing churches in his region 
Paul writes this to Titus in Titus 1 verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Right? So Paul says part of the orderly conduct of the church, putting things in order, is that these churches in each region would have elders with them in them. So that's what Paul told Titus to do. And so eventually what you had, as time went on, is you had churches in different cities that had both elders and deacons within a local congregation. One example of this is from Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, where Paul writes and he says, here's his introductory remarks, Philippians 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Right, so this church in Philippi, they were receiving this letter from Paul and in their church were both elders or overseers, which is a synonym for elders, and also deacons. So all that to say, within the orderly progression and conduct of the church, the church developed two offices, deacons and elders. Deacons, again, are the lead servants who meet people's needs and lighten leaders' loads. Elders are the pastoral shepherds who, as we've taught in previous sermons here, lead, feed, tend, and defend the flock. So over the past couple years, just to speak personally to the UBC family right now, we have been moving toward a biblical model of church leadership our church, uh, for its 50-plus years in, in its history, has operated with, um, with a plurality of deacons, and that's been commendable. This past January, we as a church voted to amend our bylaws so that we would start recognizing a plurality of elders as well. And so we have a process where our church chooses from among us deacons and elders. For those of you who are new here, just you're kind of coming in at the, the culmination of this whole process, but here's what's gone on over the past six months. We've had the church make recommendations, nominations for both elder and deacon candidates. We asked the church to read the uh, character qualities described in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 13, then make their nominations. Our, our current leadership reviews the nominations that went forward. We identify men that we believe are qualified and we approach them and ask them to pray about uh, whether or not God's leading them to serve in this role. If God leads them, then they can accept the next step, which is to go through a thorough vetting process where they have to complete questionnaires and do multiple interviews, uh, not just them, but also their spouse. And then they are presented to the church as uh, vetted candidates for several weeks and then there is an official vote of a church at our members meeting where uh, the church can vote to approve or disapprove the candidates in front of them. Last Sunday night, our church unanimously, 100%, voted to accept all our elders and all the deacon candidates that you'll see today. And I'm thankful for that, for the unity that God has given to our church. So today, this is kind of the culminating step where we do a public recognition and an installation service and today we're gonna to recognize our new elders and deacons. So I love that we're doing this on Father's Day, um, really because each of the men that you're gonna see before you today, have, they've been confirmed by the church as being godly, exemplary men 
with an express desire to serve in this role. And my prayer, and I hope you'll join me in this prayer, is that as the years go by, that the Lord will continue to raise up called and qualified elders and deacons for our church. Today I wanna introduce each of these men to you along with their wives, if they are married. And as we bring them forward, um, here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna ask them to make a public commitment to the church, similar to what we just did with our parent commissioning. I'll ask the church to make a public commitment to them, and then we will lay hands on them together and publicly pray over them as they are installed uh, for service in our church. So the congregation uh, has elected to uh, the offices of elder and deacon the following people. I'm gonna introduce them to you one at a time. To be newly installed for active service to the office of elder, uh, first we have Scott Dixon and his wife Sarah. You guys can make your way up. Scott, many of you are familiar with Scott. Um, He's preached here many times, good friend. Uh, He and his wife are actively serving and involved in our church. And uh, one thing I can say about Scott for sure is uh, he has continually reminded me and pointed me to the person of Jesus Christ. Also to be newly installed for active service to the office of elder is Harry Steck. Many of you know Harry. In many ways, Harry is the face of University Baptist Church. He has uh, been a member here for, I don't know, almost three decades probably. Um, He has faithfully taught Sunday school. He's been involved in many ways administratively, but one thing that maybe a lot of people don't get to see about Harry that I get to see and I appreciate is number one, Harry is a tender-hearted man. He weeps over the people of God and he's a man of prayer and I'm so thankful for him. To be reinstalled for active service as uh, a deacon in our church, we have Rich Porter. Um, Rich is gonna come forward with his wife, Leslie. Um, Rich has been a member here for how many years, Rich? I don't even know, 16, 16 years. When my wife, Rachel, and I joined the church, Rich was our first deacon, faithfully praying for us and caring for us uh, since we've been here. Um, To be newly installed to the office of deacon, uh, we have John Budell. John can make his way forward. John, um, if you know John, John loves the church and he loves Jesus and he loves to worship. He serves on our communications team and on our worship team and um, he's been on staff with us in the past as well. Uh, Next to newly, uh, newly serving in the office of deacon is Jim Corbin with his wife Sandy. The thing that will stand out to you about Jim Corbin is that the man is all about the nations hearing the gospel. Um, Jim recently got back from a mission trip to, where was it, Jim? Honduras? Honduras. Guys, over 50-some people profess Christ as Savior on that trip. It's amazing, right? So we praise God for that. (laughs) To be newly installed to the office of deacon, we also have Tim West, and uh, he'll be joined up here by his wife, Johanna. uh, Tim recently retired uh, from the Air Force as a, a colonel and it's been a privilege for me to get to know him and his wife. The thing that stands out to me about Tim is uh, as educated and as much leadership experience as he has, the man has a heart for children and for youth to know God's word, and I appreciate that. Um, Last is Drew Clemens to be newly installed to the office of deacon. Drew is not here today, but his picture's on the screen behind me, I believe, and um, his wife, Melissa, is there with him. They are out of town, but Drew serves as a member Uh, of our communication team, and uh, he has uh, a sincerely loving heart towards people, and I appreciate him. 
So these are the men that will be installed as deacons and elders for us today. Before we do that, I wanted to ask each of these men to make a public commitment to the church. So Tim, could you kind of step over here so I can just see you a little bit better when we go through this? Um, I'm going to ask you guys who are here uh, 10 different questions. Um, And if you agree um, to the commitments involved in these questions, I just want to ask you to respond uh, with the words I do. Um, Brothers, we need men who are leading this church who are unashamedly identified with Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Um, They trust that Jesus Christ is a great Savior even though they are great sinners. And so men, do you gladly confirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and and as the head of this church? I do. do. Brothers, we need people to take church leadership roles for the right reasons. People take church leadership roles for various reasons. Sometimes people need, feel like they need uh, accolades for themselves. Sometimes people wanna be in control and make all the changes they think are important. Other times people are just stepping into these roles because somebody asked them to do it. But we need men who the Lord has called uh, truly by his Holy Spirit into these roles. So brothers, do you have a sense that it is the Lord who is leading you to serve in this office And that to the best that you can discern your own heart, your desire is to serve for his glory alone. So brothers, we also recognize that God's word is the final authority for all matters pertaining to the church. No man, no tradition is on par with scripture. Therefore, our only authority comes from the scriptures being rightly understood and therefore rightly applied. Accordingly, Do you wholeheartedly believe the scriptures of the Old Testament and the New Testaments to be the trustworthy, inspired, and authoritative word of God? Brothers, as you know, our church has a statement of faith. It's not on par with scripture, but it has derivative authority in so much as it reflects scripture. We require our members to support that statement of faith, and we require our leaders to uphold it. So accordingly, do you sincerely support our church statement of faith and commit to upholding it among the members of our church? Brothers, churches tend to go where their leaders go. If the leaders stray, then the church strays. If the leaders are faithful, the church becomes more faithful. There will likely be times when the leaders of our church, whether you or somebody else, go through seasons of doubt, or they change their beliefs. And when that happens, that can affect the church, either for good or for harm. But in those times, it's important that leaders are open about their situation. So here's the question. Do you promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any parts of our statement of faith, that you will on your own initiative Make known to the elders of our church the change that has taken place in your views since you assumed this office. Brothers, the enemy is aggressive in attacking church leaders. We continually see leaders fall within the church. We see personal compromise in the life of leaders. Therefore, the maintenance of Christian character and holiness and integrity is critical for us. Therefore, Do you endeavor to pursue a lifestyle that is above reproach and exemplary to this congregation in your personal life, your family life, your social life, and your spiritual life? 
As you know, guys, church members are not perfect. We sin against each other. I'll probably sin against you. You'll probably sin against me. We're, gonna, we're a messed up family that sins against each other. We will have moments when we hurt one another with our words, our actions. We will disappoint one another. In those moments, it's important that we maintain love, but also that we practice confession, repentance, and forgiveness. Do you commit to pursuing and striving for unity in this church according to the biblical principles of peacemaking and reconciliation? Brothers, the scriptures teach us to obey our leaders and submit to them. This is not just for other church members. We are leaders, but we're also still members of this church. Submitting to the elder leadership of this church will not always be easy to do, and in some cases, it may not even be right to do. May the Lord protect us from that situation. But accordingly, do you promise to practice deference and submission to the elders of this church so long as they are leading according to God's word and in the case that they are not, to hold the elders accountable in the biblical manner described in our church bylaws. Just a couple more for you guys. The office to which you are called, again, requires a high bar of character. The church has recognized those qualities in each of you and I hope that's greatly encouraging to you. Hope it's encouraging to your wives. But if we falter in our character, the scripture also calls the church to not tolerate elders who live in blatant sin, calls the church to rebuke elders like that. Accordingly, do you understand that by committing to this office of service, the church may hold you accountable in the manner described in our church bylaws? Brothers, the work to which you are committing will come with both joys and challenges. There will be moments when you feel greatly encouraged and there will be moments when you're so discouraged you wanna quit. You will certainly face resistance, sometimes from the outside world, sometimes from people inside our church, perhaps even from members of your own household. Accordingly, do you promise to be zealous and faithful in this office of service knowing that persecution or opposition may arise upon you for doing so. So brothers, I just have one more question for the elders and then one more question for the deacons. So Scott and Harry, in front of our church body here and in front of the Lord, do you now express your willingness to, by the grace of God, knowing that we will give an account for people's souls, take personal responsibility in the life of this congregation as an elder? to be the shepherding overseers of the ministry of this church, to keep watch over yourself and over the flock, to devote yourself to prayer and to the teaching of the word, to guarding this church against false teaching and false teachers, and to doing so in such a way that University Baptist Church and the entire church of Jesus Christ will be blessed. So Rich and John and Tim, and Jim and Drew has already committed to these uh, in written form over email, so I can really hold him accountable. Um, Do you now express your willingness to, by the grace of God, take personal responsibility in the life of this congregation as a deacon, to be the leading servants within the ministry of this church, 
to care for our members during their times of physical need, practical need, to visit and comfort those who are hurting, to wisely utilize the resources of this church to provide benevolence, to support the ministry of the elders so that they are able to devote themselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer, and to doing so in such a way that University Baptist Church and the entire church of Jesus Christ will be blessed. So if you're a member of University Baptist Church, uh, if you've joined our church as a member, I'd like to ask you right now if you would, if you're able, please stand right where you are in your seat. Um, And I also want to invite any of those who are members um, or any who are not members who would like to come join me in the front. We're gonna lay hands on these brothers and we're gonna pray over them. So if you'd like to come and just join me right now um, as we lay our hands and pray over them and install them, you're welcome to do so. But as some are coming to lay their hands, I also want to ask three questions to the church body. Those questions will be on the screen and you, church body, you can respond to these. If you agree with the question I ask, you can simply respond with the words we do. So here are my questions for the church body. Do you, the members of University Baptist Church, publicly receive these men as duly elected elders and deacons who are gifts of Christ to this church? Do you commit to loving them and praying for them, giving them all due honor and support in their leadership? And do you commit to cheerfully working together with them so that by the grace of God and for the glory of God, we may together engage in the disciple-making mission of the church, both here and in all the nations? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I wanna ask you right now by your grace to fill Scott and Harry, and Tim, and John, and Rich, and Drew. Fill them with the power of your Holy Spirit. We trust you, Lord, to give them all the grace that they're gonna need to serve in this office of ministry, be it the grace of courage, or diligence, or gentleness, or wisdom, or discernment, or love, or forgiveness, or whatever it may be. We trust you to provide it in the years ahead. Lord, we ask you would protect their character, protect their homes, protect their wives, their children, their families against the schemes of the wicked one. We ask that you would give them great joy as they serve, O Lord. We ask that our church would conduct ourselves in such a way that we would make their service more enjoyable. Lord, please make UBC a more faithful church, conformed more and more to the image of Christ because of their service. And it's in Jesus' precious and matchless name that we together pray as a church. And we say, amen. So UBC family, under the authority of God's word, today we receive these brothers as duly installed elders and deacons. Can we give thanks to the Lord together? You guys can take your seats. So in our last few moments here, as we close out our service, um, here's what I thought we would do. We've already prayed over the deacons and we've prayed over the elders, we've prayed over parents with young children, you guys can come on up. I'd like to have our newly installed elders just each share one word of encouragement with the fathers in the room, and after they share their word of encouragement from God's word, then we're gonna have a time of prayer over the dads in the room, and then uh, we will close our service. So Harry, um, as our as our eldest elder, 
Uh, <laughs> we want to give you the honor of sharing your heart first. Uh, Harry, if you have one way to encourage the dads from our church today, what would you have to say to them? Well, first, let me just uh, express uh, appreciation for just this, the support that y'all provided for us. Um, I also send greetings from my wife. She's on a mission of mercy. She's helped my daughter drive 18 hours cross-country uh, today uh, to get in place for a vacation that we're going to have, so she couldn't be here this morning. One of the things I wanted to share with uh, folks basically comes under the title of uh, setting expectations for your uh, family, for your children. Um, in the, the expectations ultimately will lead, uh, as I'll, I'll comment to it, in terms of legacy. Um, one of the scriptures that I uh, had uh, chosen for this was out of the book of the Old Testament, out of the book of Joshua. And towards the end of Joshua's life, um, in, a, in a, basically a, a challenge to the rest of the leadership, having seen some of the fickleness in there, he makes this commitment. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Um, when I think about what it would mean to serve the Lord, uh, one of the things that strikes me is the second, second scripture that I picked. Uh, out of Ephesians uh, 6, and um, though it starts out with, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but the encouragement is bring them up in the discipline or the teaching and instruction or, or training uh, of the Lord. And so what I would encourage you to do is to, is to think about uh, sharing the scripture, and Phil has done a good job this morning uh, sharing a lot of those notes. Um, in uh, ways that, uh, that they can be exposed to the scripture, whether it's through uh, hearing the word, or uh, listening to be, be preached, or to studying it, to memorizing it, and to meditating on it, and showing them how to do those things. But in addition to that, uh, I would like to encourage you to share um, practical things that have happened in your life. And so I, I picked a number of things that, um, that might be of interest uh, from the book of uh, Joshua, or on Joshua's life. Uh, and, and what were the things, if I were Joshua, and sharing with my family, because after all, as, as I read a moment ago, that, uh, that his family, he wants to serve the Lord. And so I just thought about some of the highlights, some of the milestones that might have been in his life. Um, we don't know how he wound up uh, meeting Moses and being his attendant. But one of the first things we see is uh, Moses uh, tapped his shoulder and said, put together an army. We have this uh, enemy, the Amalekites, that are going to uh, attack us as we travel from uh, the Red Sea on down uh, to Mount Sinai. And so he does. And, and from that, uh, I think he learned a valuable lesson. When Moses lifted up his arms to God, he was successful. And when he, and when he lowered his arms, there was, he was on defensive. And ultimately, God brought success in that. And so that was one of the things I think he would share with his family. Flash forward just a little bit earlier, uh, God uh, called Moses up on Mount Sinai. And his attendant, Joshua, went with him. And Joshua sat at the mountain of, at the base of the mountain of Mount Sinai where the Lord spoke with um, Moses, and even though he could hear the, uh, the noise of uh, rebellion down in the camp, uh, he stayed there and waited for, uh, for Moses to come down. And when he did, he followed Moses down into the camp. Go forward a little bit more. Most of you know the story of the 12 uh, spies that were sent into the Promised Land from Kadesh Barnea. And, uh, and of those 12 tribes, they all came back with a report of how wonderful the land was. But 10 of them basically got over, were overcome by the, the enemy that was there and, and tried and discouraged the uh, people. And Joshua, along with his uh, friend Caleb, they encouraged the folks to go forward uh, and, and to fight. And um, unfortunately, the, the nation rebelled and they, and they went through a, a period of wandering in the desert because of punishment. 
But Joshua remained faithful. Uh, fast forward uh, almost uh, 30 some years later uh, at, on the plains on the uh, eastern side of the uh, promised land. And, and Joshua is, uh, God identifies to Moses that Joshua, Joshua will be Moses' replacement. And he's commissioned to take the uh, people of uh, Israel into the promised land. I think about, I'd share with uh, my family that um, around Jericho, the really unusual battle plan <laughs> that the Lord had there and how the Lord brought about a victory that was just complete and, and, and effective. Um, the other um, things going through the uh, promised land and conquering the battle plan that they used and the way they brought about it. Until at the end, uh, it came to the point where at the end, and he challenges people to basically follow the Lord. Um, I want to just read a, a, a final passage out of the book of Joshua. And after, Ashua, after Joshua dies at 110 years old, it says this, and um, it says, um, And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua and all had, had known the deeds of the Lord which he had done for Israel. So I think it's really important in sharing the milestones in our lives and the things that God has done for us and has built into our lives are very significant. Um, so I would just challenge you to think about your lives, think about the way the Lord has brought you into uh, faith with him, the things he's done in your life, and to share those with the, uh, with the family that you have before you. Amen. And uh, thank you for sharing, Harry. And um, before Scott shares, I just want to let you know your stool is about to fall through the crack on the stage. So you might want to move it forward. <laughs> um, but Harry, thank you for that word. Um, I think we do. We, as dads, we do need to share the milestones of our faith with our children. And uh, I appreciate you as sharing that with me as a, a dad of younger children. So thank you. What's on your heart to share, Scott? Thank you. Thank you for saving my life. Right You're now. welcome. <laughs> um, I'm here for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Jesus saved my life, but that's okay. Okay. Um, God has blessed Sarah and me with five kids, adult kids who are out of the house, uh, two in-laws, one granddaughter, and a grand something on the way. <laughs> and uh, I, if I have one chance to share and one moment to share about what it means to be a parent, and not something that I uh, have ever achieved yet, but something that God puts in the back of my mind at all times is this point in this lesson. Uh, our kids are not our savior. Jesus is our savior. And if we can remember that and uh, live out of that, that will help a lot of our parenting pressures. Paul, in, in Colossians 3, has this little nugget of wisdom for parents. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. And then he says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Uh, that word could be entitled or defined as disheartened, to lose heart, and to lose motivation. When do we do that as dads? When do we do that as parents? What causes our kids to lose heart? It's when we treat them as our saviors. Hmm. You know why? Because they were not created to do that. Mm -hmm. They can't bear that kind of pressure. And when we as parents try to find our identities and our sense of justification... In our kids, we will crush them with that kind of pressure. Our kids are not our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. How do you know when you're doing that? Really a simple um, survey. How are you doing with your overreactions? Hmm. 
Okay. I'm not talking about reactions. I'm talking about those times when you react in ways to your kids that you can't believe you're reacting. You're almost in an out-of-body experience. You're looking down on yourself and, what am I saying? What am I doing? What am I feeling? How could I be doing that? Answer, you've just made your kid your savior, not Jesus. You're trying to find in your kid what only Jesus can provide. They cannot handle that kind of pressure. May our prayer and our parenting be the same prayer as David in Psalm 90 when he, re- when he says this, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. If there's one prayer for you as a father today, it would be this, that God every day would satisfy you with his love. Mm-hmm. And then... You can parent, not to get something, but to share something, the very love of God. Awesome. Thanks, brother. Yeah. I need to hear that, uh, especially in my moments of reaction, overreaction. Um, I will share one story and then one uh, truth from God's word with us. Uh, I remember when my son Johnny was, I don't know, about four years old. And Johnny did something, and uh, he was about to get himself in trouble, and he knew it, and he was sitting in, on the couch waiting for me to come in the room, and I came in the room and probably looked, you know, big and bad and scary to him, and he looked at me and he said, Dad, can you please show me some grace? <laughs> and uh, my, little, my little boy put his little preacher daddy right in the, in the place I needed to be, and um, kind of goes along with what you're just saying, just remembering the grace that we've been given by God. Um, got convicted about my own sinfulness and uh, by God's grace, I believe handled that situation in a better way, but it's not just kids who need God's grace, it's parents and dads in the room. I know that my personal conversations with many of you have shown that some of you are in your greatest season of joy, maybe the best time of walking with the Lord you've ever had, Others of you are in a really serious uh, time of difficulty, struggle, heartache, sin, whatever it may be. And the one truth that I want to just remind you of today is this. It's that God's grace provides both conviction of a father's sin and comfort for the sinful father. Um, Guys, if you're on the right track today and things are going well in your life and your family's good and your walk with Jesus is strong, what I want to remind you of is Paul's words in 1 Corinthians fifteen ten, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. If you're walking strong with Jesus, it's by God's grace. And for the dads who are far away from God today and you're convicted of your sin and shame probably keeps you from serving and leading in the way that you know you're called, you also need to know this, Romans five twenty. but where sin increase, grace abounded all the more. Dads who are struggling, you need to know this. There is more grace in God than there is sin in you. And if you give your life to him, he will cleanse you and change you. So come in repentance and receive God's grace. I wanna ask all the dads in the room today to stand. Uh, If you are a father or a father-to-be, you can go ahead and stand. And uh, Scott, since you have the microphone, I'd like to ask you just to pray uh, over these dads and as we're praying Caleb can come and get ready to lead us in our closing song 
Father, uh, the fact that we can come to you as Father is so comforting to us as earthly fathers. You are our model, but even more importantly, you are our source. Given through the Son and through the Spirit, that we can, in our own finite, fallible, fallen way, have some hope of transformative relationships with our kids and our spouses. And Lord, I I thank you for these men and these families represented here. And I pray that you would help each of us to live and love out of the love you've given us, to be gracious out of the grace you have shown us, and to be loving out of the unconditional love you've given to us. Lord, uh, may our families be places where our kids see you through us as imperfect as we are. We ask that in the Son's name and the Spirit's power. Amen.